You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe, Vince, and Marty. take a couple of weeks off we take a couple of weeks off and big fucking studios close down we should probably not do that anymore <laughs> we have been gone for a couple of weeks had some uh, updates to do on my system so i figured it was a good time for us to take a break after our, our anniversary episode and during that time of course the big news was that telltale closed down there's not much that needs to be said about that that hasn't already been said in other other podcasts um but it is very disappointing nonetheless. It's it's one of those things where it was not always, they didn't always produce the best games, and certainly there were some, some misses. But I never realized that it was th- that poorly managed that they could get to that point that they're, they are at now. And that's really disappointing because there was an insane amount of talent there. And when they did hit the mark, man, did they ever hit the mark. Yeah, I think it's a lot of what it comes down to is the fact that making licensed games is not a a business model that you can subsist on alone. Like at, at some point you need to have, you know, your own IPs that you can fall back on because the the profit margin is obviously a lot smaller when you're you're paying another company to use their the rights to their characters. And it's unfortunate that, like you said, that the business side of things absolutely failed because, I mean, yeah, like not all of them were hits. Like Guardians of the Galaxy was not great, but the by and large, the majority of their their work was stellar. And it's it's so unfortunate. There isn't a gamer I know who does not say that I have to play Tales from the Borderlands. Um, and it's I, it, I downloaded it when it was a free uh, game on gold. From X from uh, the Xbox Live, uh, and they're they're a big push into the comic to video game, but in the way that I like comic video games, uh, in the narrative style, it's just really disappointing to see it fall apart like this. Had you played um, The Wolf Among Us? No, because I absolutely detest Fable. Just bar none, hate Fable, um, and uh, I. Yeah, don't care for I it. I don't disagree with you on that, Marty. I, I've never really cared for the comics either. Wolf Among Us was fantastic. Really? Yes. Yes. Damn it. Honestly, I was going to give you a license. I have an extra license if you wanted to play it. It's yours. And I play it. highly suggest you play it. It is a spectacular game. I'll totally play it. Okay, I'll send you the license later. Um, now, we did actually at least get some good news presumably we'll see what happens uh and that is in regards to the final season of the walking dead i've actually played all of them and i was waiting to buy this one and i don't want to say the problem roger yeah exactly (laughs) i was going to Uh, clearly i bought all the other ones um but i was just kind of holding off because i wanted to do a more in a binge style, play them all together. Mm-hmm. And because I find that works a lot better with those games, especially now. And with my memory going, it's it's far better. But I, I'm i not over-exaggerating when I'm saying, like, I needed to finish it. And, and I think I speak for a lot of people when I say that because of the strength of Clementine. And so it was one of those where... I need to see where the story is going to go. I, I'm not an idiot. I know there's two paths. She either dies or she doesn't, clearly. But I want to see what their plan was for both of those, actually, and what that's going to mean for the baby that's with her, the, well, the toddler now, and and such. Like there, there was a lot with that character that really struck a chord with a lot of people. And I think that was... As much as we loved all the other games, and everybody's got favorite series, certainly, but I think that a lot of people, uh, Clementine had that very special, uh, 
it's what we identified Telltale as almost, you know, it was Clementine's home. And so now that all those guys are gone, guys and girls, clearly, I, I worry about if they're going to be able to get everybody to finish that final season. And actually, Vince, I'll pass it to you because you were the one that found that article about Skybound. Yeah, so for those who aren't aware, the way it worked out, when Telltale shut down, they just straight up shut down. It was like a couple days before episode two of season four came out, and they said that they're not going to finish the season. And that's a that's an especially hard pill to swallow for people who already paid for the entire season <laughs> as well. Uh, and yeah, everybody, you know, had to go look for other jobs pretty much immediately because they were shoved out into the street with basically nothing and as much as fans were disappointed about not being able to finish clementine's story they were ob most people let me rephrase that were obviously more sympathetic to employees cause of you know, needing to pay bills in a very expensive area of the country so we found out at new york comic-con this weekend uh robert kirkman the writer of the walking dead comics and uh, I don't even know what his exact title is with Skybound Entertainment. His label with Image uh, is going to be taking over production and development of the Walking Dead Telltale series so that it can see a conclusion. And his intent is to get as many of the original developers back on board as possible. Now, again, a lot of them have probably already started at other jobs. I, I would hope so. So we'll see how how much of the original band he can get back together and what they can put out, especially in a different work environment. But I mean, it's nice that at least somebody is stepping up to a finish the story, but more importantly, B get, give people jobs back. I didn't realize that they were expanding skybound to be making games. So it actually is not a bad fit for them to be kind of hitting the ground running by working on an existing game and hopefully getting at least some of that staff back to to work on it with you kind of thing yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely worse ways to go about it what i like is that uh at new york city comic-con kirkman said we can't lose andrew lincoln and clementine in the same week and i think uh skybound games uh is a new imprint of his skybound entertainment which is He's like the COO of Image as well as the CEO of Skybound. Um, the guy has is like one of the few people I can think of that makes a ton of money uh, with his licensing deals through comics. Um, he is, you know, the uh, epitome of the self-publisher gone big. Uh, as, as big as Mark Millar, but Mark Millar, of course, got basically thing. his start is the, well, yes, and... <laughs> And the whole we can feel uh, less bad about Robert Kirkman being successful, right? But it's also the whole uh, what is that unlimited line? Not unlimited line, uh, ultimate's line. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, Kirkman, uh, he's got a whole bunch of different books coming out, and he is m incredibly business savvy. Uh, he's even on Talking Dead half the time, so it's pretty great. The, I was actually talking to my son about this because um, before the, the announcement for Skybound, because he was asking too, like, what's, what are the odds this can be finished anywhere else? Because we were both saying, like, hopefully one would hope that it would be picked up by somebody else and, and finished off, which clearly that's what happened. Um, but he was wondering, too, the same thing about the staff and not to transition into our other title just yet unless you guys have anything else to add but it, i was saying you know what the the telltale genre as it was is no longer just telltales and we've seen that with don't nod producing the life is strange all the uh, three games now they're working on the third and it's essentially the same thing like it's not rocket science so just get good writers in let your developers do what they do best and you'll get something good out of it and there's a transition vince you're on <laughs> right so uh well was it last week or the week before it, it all blurs together since we've taken a couple weeks off <laughs> at some point during our brief vacation yeah life is strange season two episode one came out and uh, I know Roger, you played it. Marty, have you uh, have you looked at it yet? 
Uh, no, I don't even know what day it is. Uh, nothing matters. The world is on fire. I don't know what is this Monday. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what anything's going on. Well, what an interesting thing to say because this game is essentially about the world being on fire. Uh, it's yeah. All right. So we start off. Uh, we're playing this uh, teenage boy by the name of Sean Diaz, uh, a Mexican American living in Seattle with his younger brother, Daniel, and his father. I didn't take notes because I wasn't planning on leading on this game. Ernesto, some, something along those. I know there's an E. Esteban. Esteban, thank you. Uh, yeah, and there it it was uh, briefly uh, a moment of, oh, it's another mom is out of the picture story, but there, it's not a mom is killed off story near as I can tell. There's definitely uh, some more to be explored there. They don't seem to have a very happy relationship with which I kind of liked, actually. Yes, that's a very different story approach than just about any other video game we've ever talked about. It's, again, it's, um, it's, yeah, the, the mother's not in the picture, but the reason why does make a difference. It's you mm -hmm. haven't killed off a female character to empower the male characters. In this case here, it's the, presumably, the, um, like whether it was drugs or whether she just left the family or whatever. And so it created this angst towards her that the boys feel, especially Sean, of course. And, and it's presented much better. I, I, again, it's like you said, we haven't really seen that much of this. So when you do see it, it's impactful and it works to great effect. And that's the thing that we keep coming back to with life is strange is how realistic everything is portrayed both positive and negative but everything comes off as authentic and if not relatable at least you can it's not out outlandish at the same time i mean even when we're talking about weird psychic powers and stuff everything surrounding that is definitely grounded in reality which i really appreciate and, and that much more grounded in reality this time around let me tell you yeah uh, and that's what we get is yeah, we were starting off, <laughs> you know, Don't Nod does such a great job of making the quiet parts of their game so damn good that you forget about all the terrible shit that's also going on. I was just getting in so into getting Sean ready for this party he's going to go to and, you know, having a good time hanging out and chatting with dad in the garage and this and that, you know making sure, you know, he's he's cool and collected for the girl he likes. I was like, yeah, completely forgetting that the entire premise of this game is that his world gets turned upside down. <laughs> I, I, it was, um, I, I don't want to speak negatively of it, but I found for a lot of this episode, but especially the beginning, actually, I kind of felt a little different than you because I found it a little too slow myself. Mm. And... Part of that I know is because so much of this was the same as what we saw in the demo. Uh, or I should say the gameplay footage we saw. Yeah. We, we didn't play, but we saw it. And it was close enough that it felt like replaying it again. So I found it a little slow at points myself. And unfortunately, that kind of carried forward for me for a little while and i'm sure we'll get to that but a lot of it i felt this needs to really pick up the pace once it did holy fucking hell but i felt it took a little too long mm -hmm. and before we get into like the big events one thing the very first thing i did once i got control of sean and started going about his business was opening up a cell phone and reading through his text message yep. history because that, that was yep. so instrumental in the first life is strange We've been of, conditioned. Well, also just learning about the character, learning yeah. what their relationships are with the people around them, their parents, their friends. Like, I, I really enjoyed reading the text exchanges between Sean and his track coach and his boss at work. Like, yep. it teaches us so much about the character and the world they inhabit. And I noticed something very important during his exchange with Lila, his yep. best friend. And then it occurred to me, this game is set in October of 2016. And I, I don't have the exact quote, so I'm paraphrasing. Can you believe the debate last night? That asshole, that asshole might actually win. Oh, my God. So this is very much 
a game that is set in and very much about Trump's America. That and that is fucking powerful. That text made me kind of stop for a moment, which we're always talking about how it's great when developers really get you invested in their world and you become a part of that world and inhabit it while you're playing kind of thing. But what winds up happening when what that world that you are trying to inhabit is in fact a reflection of your own is that your brain kind of has to switch gears and you're not inve- you're not no you're no longer playing in an imaginary world you are but you know what i mean but your mind is now suddenly really tying it into reality and for me i found that that disconnect really jarring and and i wonder how if it was the same for others and what it did though is that every comment every action every everything moving forward is that much more grounded in reality we do understand this some people a lot more than others i'll be the first to admit that shit but it's a simple text a simple line was more impactful to me than a lot of the other shit that came after afterwards yeah it 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 completely changed my perception of the game as a white guy acknowledge now knowing that my the character I'm playing as is a Mexican American and that is going to now set a tone for future expectations and that immediately leads into the, the first big confrontation in the game. Well, actually, even before that, the um, when we were watching the the gameplay footage, I don't know if this was said or if I missed it or depending on choices if it came out but his father at one point when he's talking to him is telling him to be careful and is saying how much more dangerous the world is for them Mm -hmm. right now so even before you get to the racist neighbor which we know is coming uh it's not just the text from the asian best friend girl best friend of his uh, as well as his father, and then you know about the racist asshole, and you know about the clueless cop, and all this other shit. So it it really steamrolls ridiculously fast at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the game cold opens with the the police dash cam footage of you know air quotes the incident where we don't see what's going on, but we know yeah there's there's an officer involved and crazy psychic explosions and and weird stuff happening off screen. And again, I was just so engrossed in Sean. I, I completely forgot until we get to the point where, again, the 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 racist guy living next door to them is giving Daniel, the younger brother, a hard time because Daniel was very happy about his fake zombie blood he made for Halloween. And somehow, I don't know how, because I didn't get to that, I didn't choose that particular option, splash it on the neighbor. So as the big brother, I go out there to to protect Daniel, end up getting into a fight with this guy and knocking him down looks like he knocked his head on some rocks and that's just out of sheer coincidence that's when the cop pulls up and immediately i was like oh shit that's right this game is about terrible things happening to these poor kids and then (laughs) followed by oh shit i'm a mexican kid who looks like he just murdered this white guy because he's covered in fake blood followed by Oh my God! When I picked up the weed pipe, did I put it in my pocket or my backpack? Oh, that was Jesus. that was my thought process as playing this character. <laughs> I was like, "This this is how it goes down. He's going to catch me with drug paraphernalia, and it's going to go bad from there." It didn't get to that point. Uh, again, it's it's in the um, the the young uh, trigger happy, uh, overly aggressive police officer telling a teenager and a literal nine-year-old to get on the ground by pointing and pointing a gun at them. You can say um, he's a racist. It's, it's pretty goddamn clear. Yeah. This isn't just somebody who's nervous. No, they're a racist. Uh, which, yeah. of course, brings out uh, the father, Esteban, and he's trying to calm the cop down, and he gets shot, which sets off Daniel and his uh, 
phenomenon powers to release a huge shockwave and just take out the cop, flip over the cars, chaos ensues. And that's the premise for our game there is when Sean wakes up, his dad is literally dead. There's fires, there's police officers down, there's more cops coming. And he panics, he grabs his little brother, he runs off. And we knew about that. We knew that was the, the premise for the game, but we didn't know the exact events leading up to it. And that the story of the game is really about the journey of these two brothers to uh, their plan is to get to Mexico, their father's hometown, and hopefully be able to, to find family or start a new, better life there where they're not wanted criminals for, uh, I believe they did say that the police officer was dead. So yeah, there's Sean knows exactly how that's going to go in the current climate of America that he knows that he can't go home. Even if it's the right thing to do, even if it's the right thing to, for his brother, he knows he can't do that. And that is a cloud that hangs over the entire rest of the game and really paints a lot of the the decisions he makes in a very different light than we thought of previously. The thing that I not wrestled with, but that I, I kept coming back to... Um, is just how many bad decisions were being made kind of thing. And mm -hmm. I had to keep reminding myself that I'm looking at it, and, and this isn't even looking at it from a position of privilege, because I, I already know that part. W what I'm talking about is that that idea of trying to put myself back in the mind of a teenager. Forget about um, a race or what or anything like that. Yes, that's all part of it, but not part of this decision making process kind of thing. So just a a young boy because I think he's like sixteen. Is he not? I want to say 15? seventeen. Really, you think he's that old? Well, yeah. 16, 17, He's yeah. still very young, and when you are a young teenage, especially boy, you are going to make a lot of bad decisions. So I keep reminding myself of that as I play it because often when you are playing such games, you're not playing as a kid, you're playing as an adult. Uh, and even in games like the first Life is Strange and even the prequel, while you're playing young characters, they're fairly still mature for their age. Um, so it, it's kind of still different. What I liked about this was that initially, and again based somewhat on the video we'd seen and then from playing it through early on, he's the stereotypical big brother that he's a jerk to his younger brother, but in that kind of annoying teenage way. Mm -hmm. So I, I know I was very much the same at his age. Yeah. So I was just Me like, too. fuck, this is going to be a pain in the ass. If I'm playing as that character though, I don't want to play as a young punk. I was a young punk. I don't need to play as that anymore. But I will give them credit. As options came about, he matures fucking fast. And you have the opportunity to be the best person, the best brother that you can for um, Daniel moving forward. And I made a conscious decision that I was going to be doing that all the time. And mm -hmm. it was very rewarding, actually. It was very, very well done, and it made it so that while I was, you know, watching my money and things like that, which I know you'll get into, I never felt like I was teaching him to be a bad person. And so despite the fact that he has this clearly fantastic power that will that even Sean hasn't figured out yet, but it's about teaching his son that despite everything they've just gone through, you're not going to beg for food. You're not going to steal. You're not going to do these things. And he's doing that by example. And man, I really dug that because it wasn't mm. preachy. It wasn't saying, no, we're not stealing. No, put that down and don't do that. No, it was, he's not doing those things. And, and I noticed at the end when there were options and whatnot, one of them was that Daniel didn't steal something. But yeah. that option never came up for me, and I'm wondering if... I'll, I'll tell you exactly about that, because he did for my game. Oh, he did? Okay, fantastic, because I'd like to know how that came about. But and, anyways, and my point is just that it was really well done, 
um, to make you actually care for the character. And initially, I really didn't think I would. And that that's a phenomenal thing that Don't Nod did here. It's skipping ahead to the, the very end of the game with the, the traditional, okay, these are the choices you made compared to, you know, choices other people made. And there's three pages of choices for Sean, the things you did as Sean, and then another three pages for Daniel of decisions that you didn't necessarily make, but the decisions you made then influenced this young child. And that that is some next level friggin' writing and game design right there. I yeah. adore it. I agree. So, yeah, uh, getting back on track with the story, we're not going to go uh, beat by beat. Uh, yeah, there we skip ahead a couple days to them on the road. Uh, Sean has not told Daniel what's going on. It's there. Yeah, they're just you know they're on a hike. They're going to meet up with their their dad later. Very much. I have no idea what to tell you, so I'm kind of making things up as I go. And it starts off with them camping in the woods. And I don't know about you, Roger. But for me, I was having some very, very bad Grave of Fireflies flashbacks yeah. of these two kids camping out in the woods, eating their literal last bag of potato chips for dinner. I'm like, oh, my God. Now, it, it, that was, again, that big brother instinct of this isn't just about we have a goal to accomplish. This is I have to keep another human being alive. I have to keep them fed. I have to keep them hydrated. I have to keep them safe. And that is a hard thing to do for life in general. That is an incredibly hard thing to do when you're a 17-year-old kid with $20 in his pocket and nobody to help you. And see, that's actually where, well, it's not that they made a bad choice, but, but like when the dog comes up eventually later on, again, as the adult who's raised four kids and knows how fucking expensive it is and looking at this journey that they're planning and trying to be um, honest and not a thief about it along the way and things like that, though that may, there may come a point where there's no other choice. And that might be something that they're writing into the game that, you know, sometimes you don't always have a choice, but the dog part, when they, they eventually get the dog, I don't know if there's an option at, at any point to like, that's it. No ends because it kept kind of coming up and it was one of those where I'm trying so hard to be responsible as Sean for Daniel that it's like all of his attention is on Daniel the dog is too much it's another I, mouth to feed I am just gonna straight up tell you I completely ignored the dog when we get there and the kid's like look a puppy I was like nope, I'm walking to the other side of the store I'm not listening to you I'm not acknowledging that there is a puppy here <laughs> Oh yeah, but oh man, later on you've yeah, got you, a puppy. Yes, you do. <laughs> so so. Let, let's let's uh, skip ahead to that uh, that that gas station, which is really the pivotal part of this episode. Where okay, there's civilization. We can buy some food. We can you know restock on supplies. We can find a map. This and that. And you are presented with so many options, like you said for. Not just how you want to progress, but the kind of example you want to set for Daniel. Uh, as soon as you get there, there's a family there, you know, having lunch on a road trip. And, you know, the op the options are, you know, beg for food or even worse. Well, I don't know, worse. Uh, <laughs> send Daniel to beg, knowing that they're more likely to feed a nine-year-old than they are an older teenager. But I, I was like, no, I'm not going to send Daniel over there to beg. That's... You know, that's not how I'm going to play this game. But I went over there and I just started talking to the family. And did you do that, Raj? No, actually. The okay. way that I looked at it is that they're fugitives. Mm -hmm. They're Latinos. There's, I, I'm trying to remember. Yes, at that point, too, there's the newspaper where he sees that they're wanted See, I, I as well. I hadn't seen the newspaper yet at that point. I hadn't yet, but that was literally seconds yeah. later. But I was like, no, no, he's keeping his head down and not talking to them and just going about his business. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I went up and talked to them. And the very first thing is the father's like, oh, here it comes. Like knowing that, yeah, here's these scraggly, dirty kids. They're going to try and ask for food. So I was like, all right, we're going to abort that plan and just kind of trail the conversation off with like some awkward small talk. And I was like, I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Like it, as a person, it made me uncomfortable, let alone as someone controlling a, a fake computerized person. I was like, no, it's not, not happening. I have money in my wallet. We're going to go buy some hot dogs. Yeah. 
and then remembering, hey, remember how cute it was when I put $10 into the family pizza fund jar that was sitting on the kitchen counter? And how great that $10 would be right about fucking now. Oh, you put my... <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I, I still oh, had wow. all my money. I had $20 walking into that gas station. So you probably had around 30 Yeah, $30.30 as a matter of fact. <laughs> so you're going through and it's... I know I've been there, Roger. I, I, I believe you've been there. I don't, I don't know exactly your past, Marty. Walking through the store and having to buy food and adding up the prices for how much all these things cost and what can I afford and how much money do I want to save for the next meal was yep. Jesus. It, it, I, I, I don't think there are very many people who will be playing this game who have not experienced that in one way or another. The funny thing is, is that, and again, this is as a parent, you're looking at the food but I wasn't looking at it just in terms of this is how much money I have. What's the cheapest food I can get? And just so that we have more moving forward kind of thing. But st still an element of what would he like as well? Because this mm -hmm. is already hard enough on the kid. So let's let's get him something at least that's not horrible. So, like, the mac and cheese, which there was even a comment somebody said, like, I think it was Sean who monologues it, that he, he loves it. And then mm -hmm. the Choco whatever Choco yeah. bar thing. I got I got two hot dogs, a can of mac and cheese, and a candy bar. Yeah. Which was, like, 12 out of my $20. See, it wasn't even that much for me because we were a little hungry at the end of the night. It was, like, 6 mm -hmm. bucks, so it wasn't bad. Yeah, I, I, I went and splurged and got the hot dogs because I knew we needed some protein. That's, that's how I was looking at it. I was like, we can't live on carbs alone. We need Makes some protein. We don't need Daniel's learning to spearfish. We'll be eating like <laughs> fucking kings in a few days. And yeah, there's a number of interactions you can have uh, at the gas station. There's the uh, the wandering journalist Brody, who's like a freelance journalist, you know, living a a, a, a semi hobo on the road lifestyle. And there's the, of course, the, you know, the shopkeeper herself, who's, you know, seems pretty friendly. And she has a puppy there that she's trying to get rid of that Daniel really wants. But I, again, I was ignoring that fucking dog. It was actually, <laughs> like, she I found know, it. I know what this game is trying to do to me, and I'm just going to ignore it. <laughs> it knows that every game needs a dog, basically is what it is. But yeah, she tells you that somebody left it there and she's, she's just trying to find a good home for it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, cut skips ahead to the the boys having their lunch at the the picnic table outside, looking over a, a road map, trying to figure out where they are, where they want to go next. When they're interrupted, the owner of the gas station, who I'm not even gonna dance around it, is a hundred percent a fucking racist. Sees these two brown kids eating a bunch of food and is very curious as to how much of it they paid for. Because when you're in the store, there is 100% an option to steal everything. I didn't go down that route. Again, A, I'm a fugitive. I don't want to draw any more attention. And B, that's not how we're doing this. We still got money. You know, uh, we'll, 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 we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, but we're not there yet. Uh, in addition to, oh, here's all the camping supplies that can help us survive that we can't afford. But not stealing anything. Just going to buy some fucking macaroni and cheese and go about our business. And he's very aggressive. Uh, ends up smacking Daniel, and Daniel runs off, and then he punches Sean in the gut and knocks him out. I'm like, holy shit. Because, like, I was even trying to, like, because it gives you the option to uh, discuss, flee, or fight. I chose discuss because we paid for this. Go ask the lady inside. She'll tell you we paid for all this. That That's that's the avenue I was going with, forgetting all of the other elements at play here. What did you do, Raj? I did the same thing, actually. Okay. Because by then, too, I'm... I was trying to be a lot more, for lack of a better term, again, he grew up really fast, so a lot more mature in how he handles the situation. So for me, this kind of situation is, okay, let's see if it's possible to defuse it at all kind of thing. Yeah, and I, I don't want to get into more not. trouble than I'm already in. Yeah, don't draw more attention. But uh, unfortunately, as we've we've learned, some people you just can't talk to, and this is one of those guys. All that he was missing was a mega hat. 
Yeah, seriously, because when Sean wakes up, changed to the fucking radiator in the gas station office, uh, we, we get a bit of uh, the owner on the phone with the sheriff. Uh, I don't know if he recognized the kids from the newspaper beforehand or not, but it's kind of irrelevant but to the discussion at hand. That's what he actually says, though, in the phone. He implies that, yeah, it's the two kids. Yeah, but I don't know if he knew it was the two kids before he oh, I uh, see what you mean. had interacted he, with before them. he was an asshole. Yeah, who knows? Yes, exactly. Uh, I'm just going to assume he's an asshole by default, and yeah. <laughs> because as he wakes up and he's like berating Sean of you know how can you do these things? You're you're a criminal, this and that. And I cringed on the couch when he said the line, "This is why we need to build that wall." Yep. Oh, Jesus. Holy shit. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I, I, I winced I more. I almost don't at, know how to parse that. <laughs> I winced more at that than I did when he kicked the kid in the face, which says a lot. Yeah. It was, again, it was that same thing of, oh, you thought you were in a video game. No, this shit is happening now. People are treating kids like this now. And it, it really made it this more than any of the other Life is Strange episodes across all of them. And they tackle dark fucking shit. This one made me pause more often. I like literally pause the game. I'm going to take two seconds here, do something else, whatever, and go back. Because some of it was, again hitting far too close to home and, and it's going to hit other people way fucking closer to home. And that really changed how I played the rest of at least that chapter. Because after, you know, you break out, uh, Daniel gets grabbed by the owner again, freaks out, uses his powers and knocks him out. And then you're presented with, do we get out of here or do we grab the camping supplies? And at this point, I was, as a player and as a character, angry. I was like, fuck you, I'm going to steal your goddamn tent. I went to steal the camping supplies, but he wasn't unconscious. So I had to kick him in the face to knock him out to steal the camping supplies. And I fucking did it because he deserved it. I actually didn't. He, I, But once again, I paused. And mm -hmm. it was, I had to, I didn't do like you did, was react spur of the moment. It was 100% emotional. Yeah, yeah, for me it was, whoa, 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 think, think before you act. What does he want? Does he want to be accused of theft? Well, he might anyways if they lie, which this fucking asshole definitely would. Oh, he totally uh, All lied. kinds of other shit. So it was one of those, no, we're just getting the fuck out. And it was also for the benefit of Daniel. Like almost mm -hmm. every decision oh, yeah. I'm Daniel making is for the benefit of Daniel. Daniel certainly had a reaction when I started kicking this guy in the face and felt bad about it, but I had already made the decision. Oh, okay. Good to know. Yeah. The thing too is part of it for me, part of the decision for me, and this is where I'm not 100% in the game because I know as the player that Daniel has this power. And it's like, Again, there's elements in this game, like when they preview the next one, where it's like Sean may as well be Professor X and Daniel Jean Grey. So in my <laughs> brain, I'm thinking, like, don't show aggression. Don't let him learn that aggression and th stealing yeah. and things I've like that. I've seen Deadpool, too. Yeah, we don't I know want, how this works. Yeah, we want him <laughs> to be a good guy with this ability, is what I was also thinking. Yeah, and you're 100% right, but... The game did such a great job of yeah, putting me in an emotional state where I was incapable of making those rational gameplay decisions. Oh, and I'm not joking. I applaud them for it. Marty, I think this would be a trigger for you. That scene where he is, the kid is literally chained to a fucking pipe. I, I think I, you would lose it if you, you, it was that well done in how bad it is. My skin's crawling. Like, oh, when I, you I, hear the quiver in his uh, voice. Oh, my God. Yeah. The, the thing with the voice acting is that overall it's good, but I found that there were certain scenes where it was not as good. And it was more when the two boys are 
well, essentially they're pretending to cry, the voice actors, and it sounds like actors pretending to cry. It doesn't sound like real tears. But when he was chained to that pipe, mm-hmm. you could hear the quiver and fear in his voice. Like, he did a fantastic job there. Because it wasn't just, uh, I'm scared, I'm afraid. There was also the elements of, what have I done to my brother? Yeah. How did I get him into this situation? And, oh, man, fucking powerful. Dude. Like, Jesus. Yeah, so after the gas station, they run off into the woods and uh, run into Brody, of all people, uh, who helps them out. He's like, they're like, he's like the, the guy at the gas stations are crazy racist. He chained us up in the back office. And Brody's like, I believe that. Let's go. Now, had you actually talked to Brody when you were eating? I had, yes. Okay, yeah, because that's... That was one of the, for for lack of a pun, but a telltale sign for me when you're talking to him. And, I mean, the guy's looking at, well, it's not porn. He's saying they're nudists that he's writing about. (laughs) But, I mean, they're making it seem like, okay, this is a skeevy white guy. Yeah. But in the back of your head, you're looking at where you are and things like that, and you're thinking... I bet you he's the quote-unquote good white guy and you're going to have to deal with the quote-unquote bad white guy because they're kind of hinting a little too strongly of potential like sex abuse or filming or whatever if this guy's into that kind of shit. But then they present it just enough so that you're, it's, your, it's your imagination running away with you, not, not what you're being presented with. And mm-hmm. when you get later on and he essentially he saves you, it, it it very much to me did feel that way where it was, we can't make all the white people look bad. So here's a good one who's going to help these poor kids. And it pissed me off. But then he turned into such a good character. I know. Exactly. And then you're like, Oh, God, I love this character. It's like I'm still a little pissed off that you had to make him a white dude. But justifiably, holy fuck, what a great character. for! <clears throat> and the voice actor was phenomenal for him. It sounded kind of like uh, Seth Rogen, but I know it wasn't. Uh, yeah, that's why I thought, too. Bullen Walker is who it was. <laughs> okay. Maybe it was just because it was a chubby guy with the... Facial hair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Somebody. But yeah, like... It yeah, it was it was awkward at points, but when they got Brody's story across, that they, you know he he, I think it's important that Brody was a white guy in so far as he acknowledged that he had an amount of privilege as well that at least he was able to use in a positive way to help out these kids. So yeah, yeah but, but you know he he came from a, a wealthy background and you know he's he's your you know twenty first century online political activist type i just would have rather the person that saves these two boys mm-hmm. not be just yet another quote-unquote the good white guy you know i would have rather it be somebody else i i think when we look back on this after the season is done and you know if there's a little too many of the good white guys or if he's just you know one character out yeah, of his exactly, number yeah yeah there's just in this small sample size of the overall story they're telling, there's only so many characters they interact with. But yeah, he, you know, he's like, you know, I, I've been on the road since I was young, kind of gives them some advice because, you know, some people helped me out when I really needed it. This is my way of paying it forward. But more importantly to me was the one-on-ones he had with Sean. Oh, God, of like, yeah. I know who you are. I'm not a fucking idiot, essentially. And, and just giving him advice of like, yeah, you're right. You can't go back home. It's all fucked there. <laughs> like, you know what? Maybe this Mexico thing, it's kind of crazy, but maybe it actually is the best thing for you. It's your life. I'm not going to tell you how to live it, but you got to take care of that kid. And more importantly, you have to tell him what happened to your father. He had some of the best lines in the entire episode. No doubt. No doubt. It was, it, again, it was really well written. And, and people like this do exist. I certainly am not trying to imply they don't. But this guy was just fantastically written in terms of being very supportive while still respecting that this kid, A, respecting that he's not a kid anymore, that he's going to make his own decisions regardless of what you tell him. 
So just try to be a good influence and don't spook him either kind of thing. Offer whatever little pearls of wisdoms you've gotten along the way, but understand that there's only so much that this kid can still do. And and he did all that, like, ridiculously well. And also along the way, Daniel brought the puppy. Or as he says, he rescued the puppy from those bad people. Yeah. Oh, Jesus, come on! Come on! <laughs> but yeah, uh, Brody gets them a, a room in a motel for the night so they can clean up, get a good night's sleep, and he also got them a bus ticket for, for the following day. And the 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 final gameplay elements of the episode take place at that motel, where, again, just the good big brother stuff of, okay, let's get, you know... <laughs> okay you can have the bed closest to the tv and he's like no let's play rock paper scissors let's be fair and then you win and you're like okay we'll play again i'll keep playing until the kid wins rock paper scissors and you can have the bed and the satisfaction of it at the same time well they conditioned us with that with the the rock skipping i'm assuming you kept going until he finally skipped it i actually didn't he was getting so disheartened i was like all right let's let's cut it there it was literally i was on what amounted to the last one and i was going oh god this this could potentially just be one of those things in the game that goes on forever. So I yeah, thought, well, he's never going to get it. Exactly. And so I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to try one more time. And it was, it, that was the one where he skipped it. And it, it, it brought out confidence in him and it worked to mm -hmm. great effect so that he also slept better during the night, presumably. Right. So yeah, I drawn a bath and, and you know, this and that. Um, and the, the whole time is like, okay, like, I've got to tell him about dad. We'll, we'll get him in a bath. We'll take care of some stuff. And another thing that Brody had told Sean was you got to get rid of your phone knowing, you know, you got to get rid of your phone. They're going to track you this and that. So uh, when uh, Daniel's in the bath and you take the phone out onto the balcony to, to toss it in the road, you have the option of calling Lila or not. What did you choose? I actually, once again, thinking of Daniel did not. But I was really because hoping you did because I want to know what happened. 100% the logical thing to do of no, because then, you know. You can it, be tracked. Exactly. But I also remember reading Lila's text messages and knowing how much my actions, my actions, Sean's actions had affected her as well. I couldn't just go. I had to call her and See, at least let her know I was safe, but I was going away. I know she's going to be very upset with me if my character ever talks to her again but once mm -hmm. again i had to wait daniel versus lila and it was like it was a no-brainer for me but this is what i want to know from you when brody told you that you had to destroy the phone knowing full well that yeah he's right having been conditioned by don't nod because of how important that phone is were you as gutted? Mm -hmm. Were you like, I was like, oh shit, no, don't take that away. Like that's. I know. I'm like, I'm losing an important storytelling element here. This would be like, if Destiny had done the right fucking thing and put those goddamn grimoires and everything right in the game, and then at some point take it all away from you, and that's what it, I was thinking. No, no, like, not, not even take it away from you, force you to, to destroy. To yeah, it. it was it was really hard decision, and I. Uh, once again applaud them for that because it's it's the same thing a kid would feel certainly this one losing that lifeline and then uh did you watch the video on the phone did you have a choice not to i don't know i i i watched it i don't know if if you had a different option or no it cuts right to that i believe okay. i think you so you, yeah, yeah as he's sitting down and watching the the video on his phone of christmas morning oh. when daniel gets the xbox you can cut out of it early though i know yeah and i was I, at so many points i was like okay i'm gonna throw it away now and i was like fuck i can't I, and just seeing sean himself there crying like that was such a powerful moment of showing we never see in video game well i don't want to say never but all too rarely in video games do we see male characters being vulnerable. And this was one of those moments. And I just, I couldn't cut it short. I just, as I could not do it. I could not bring myself to press that fucking button. I almost played it a second time, but by then I was thinking, no, I can't because kid's going to be out of the bath soon. I need to get this done and move on. But it mm -hmm. was very impactful. Yeah. Uh, 
God, this, this game was so fucking good. <laughs> but that, 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 that's the point. He makes the decision. All right, time to talk to Daniel. Dad. And Daniel knows something's up and is like trying to distract him. Like, oh, you said I could have a soda and, and you know, doing kid stuff. So as you go outside to get to get a soda, that's presumably when Daniel flips channels over to the news and freaks out and has his fucking Tetsuo moment and just loses his shit, starts a psychic tornado in the hotel room of you lied to me. Why didn't you tell me dad was dead? You're a terrible brother. And I was just like, oh, my God. Oh, it I. Unfortunately, there was no point where you made that conscious choice not to tell him. And I I found that was to the detriment of gameplay at that point. Because you don't feel yourself that you made mm-hmm. the wrong decision. You are I, being I, taken for this ride. And I, I did find that a lot less impactful than it could have been. I mean, looking at it objectively, you're right. But I think for myself at that point, I was so engrossed in Sean's mindset that I it still did feel like he was yelling at me. You were saying, Marty? I was about to say, is there any opportunity to sit to tell him earlier? No. No. I didn't think so. There's no way there's no way the kid's not gonna react that way. Like mm-hmm. Yeah. But essentially, that's where the episode ends. Uh, Sean calms him down, at, at least for me. I promised never to lie to him again. I assume you did the same, Raj. Yeah. And, and then we get the the closing scene of them on the bus ride out of town. So there's a, a couple things. First of all, I forgot. Uh, when you're with Brody and you stop for the conversation, you stopped at Arcadia Bay. Yeah. Now, for me, because it asks you, did you play Life is Strange Season 1? Like, yes. Uh, did you choose to sacrifice Arcadia Bay? And I know I was the minority here because I chose not to sacrifice the city. So for me, it was still a city. What did you experience? Wasteland. <laughs> it was really. Oh yeah, it was completely destroyed. And then there's the plaque showing it afterwards. Mm-hmm. What it is? I was like, yep, I did that. <laughs> <laughs> so it was very different for me. I was like, oh okay. And then everyone was like, oh shit, that's Arcadia Bay. Followed by oh, shit, that's probably not there for a lot of people. <laughs> and see, you really missed out there because having that conversation with Brody, who by this point has already made a lot of sense and is a really nice dude, despite spending a lot of time looking at naked people. <laughs> but well, like, It's his job. Yeah, yeah, I know, I'm just kidding. But um, Naked but people matter too. They do, they always do. The uh, the thing is, is that you're at that point having the conversation where he's telling you, listen, I know who you are. And the shift in that relationship changes, not as dramatically as you would think, because he doesn't come off aggressively. He doesn't come off as trying to tell him he did wrong or what he should do. He's support and offering advice. And to do so with a destroyed Arcadia Bay in the background that I as a player am responsible for had a massive, massive impact. Like they literally, they couldn't have picked a better spot for him to have that conversation with this kid for people who had chosen to save uh, Chloe. It it was fantastic. That's, that's really cool. And then uh, another thing I forgot about is uh, the whole did Daniel steal thing. Uh, when you get to the hotel room and like you guys are chilling out in the room, uh, for me, like there was this little toy figure on the nightstand. It was like a hula girl. I was like, huh, Daniel, where'd you get this from? He's like, oh, um, from from Brody's car. He's like, did he give it to you? Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. No, he, he snagged it. I was like, why? Why would you steal from Brody? It's like you stole from the gas station when I nabbed the camping supplies. Yeah. And then we had to have the discussion of, first of all, you shouldn't steal. I stole because I felt we had to. And second of all, Brody's a nice guy. Don't do that. He doesn't deserve it. So it was, it was a very like awkward moral conversation you had to have with this kid. And I 100% deserved it because of the decisions I had made. And I, 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 that's when I realized, shit, 
this kid's watching what I do. I'm not just making decisions for Sean. I'm making decisions for both of us. This is where my dad powers are coming into play. (laughs) (laughs) I've got decades of experience in this shit. I already knew if I do any of this bad shit, he's going to mirror it. And so I was like, I felt good that he hadn't done those things. I actually, Mm -hmm. as fucked up as it sounds, I'm looking through these things at the end of the game and looking at the things that he didn't do and go, I raised you right. Good boy. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I, I have to say, I found this episode personally to be way more impactful than anything in season one. Not to say season one wasn't phenomenal, but there was just by hammering down a setting and a time frame and a tone, as well as a character I can relate to a little more than I did last time around. For me personally, this was far and away better than season one see i i didn't feel that way sadly i i really did enjoy it um my only complaints were how slow it was during the camping stuff Mm -hmm. which was justifiably very very slow and also and i really hate to say this because it's fucking don't nod i don't want to insult the musicians but i did not feel that the music was nearly as good as no, anything else we've seen, which was really Although, disappointing. I loved like when I turned on the the iPod in Sean's bedroom, right? And he's going about his business, and the 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 voice actor for the character was kind of half ass singing along with the yeah, song, yeah. like the words he knew. That was an amazing touch. And I like that he's doing that. Well, at least for me, I put the music on and sat down and was drawing, and so mm-hmm. I kind of really dug that. And again, the. The, he's got a, a drawing book that he keeps with him that his father gave to him that you can go through in the same way that there's doodles in um, Max's and Chloe's stuff later on in the other two yeah. games. This one here, you have this. And I dig it. It's nice. It gives you an insight into what's going on in the character's head as well and whatnot. I mean, and again, not only that, like when you realize like that's kind of his escape, that's how he... Yeah. A, and it's also his way of like rationalizing things and like processing them is by drawing them. And that was very impactful when I was looking through the book later on. And I guess it was right around the time of the the first camping scene when you have all these nice little sketches and doodles and this and that, and then just a blank two-page spread with just the handwritten message, I miss you, Dad. Yeah. That, again, uh, very powerful. Yeah, definitely. Jesus. Oh, so. this... Marty, you, you have not experienced Life is Strange and just how much... It is essentially several hours of don't nod, kicking you in the nuts repeatedly, and we go back for more. Uh, Wow, if I wanted to go to work, I'd go to fucking work, guys. Jesus Christ. It's seriously, I... It's a good game, but... The fuck, Siri? I didn't say Siri. My iPad just fucking turned on, Siri. Anyways, um, it's not often I say this, but as good as this is, knowing you, I yeah. I don't know that it's the right game for you. Where I, I'd recommend the prequel and season one to you before this, but even those, holy shit, again, you're going to see teenagers put through the fucking ringer. Um, but this one, because of how closely tied it is to what's happening right now politically as well, yeesh you may want to stay away from this. I'm going to lose my goddamn mind is what you're saying. I will, I will send you Wolf among us. Play that. Yeah. Not a matter of losing your mind, but we know you and we know this will affect you far more than our cynical asses. Yeah. We are actually going to skip the council episode four for this episode and talk about that next one. Just because, well, as expected, we did go off on life is strange a lot (laughs) longer. But we are going to talk just ever so briefly to give Marty a chance to fucking talk about Red Dead Redemption because Red Dead Redemption 2 is right around the corner coming out on the 26th of October. We got a few more. uh, We got another trailer, some more information. Uh, I've actually been playing the first one because I never did finish it the first time around. So I actually moved my Xbox One to where I sit now. So it's a lot easier for me to play. So it's been on a lot more. Uh, I even signed up for the access thing. But I thought, you know what, I need to actually finish it. I know I don't need to for Red Dead 2, but I, I really wanted to. And 
I'm going to need to go back. And this is the interesting thing about working on a games podcast for damn near a decade. You can look back at years at games that came out a long time ago that maybe you never got to, but remembering what everybody else thought of. Because Red Dead Redemption is so highly vaulted, and I remember you guys talking about it a lot when it was out. And there's a lot of good things about it as I'm playing. But holy fucking hell, is there a lot of bullshit in that game? <laughs> like, the Irish is a drunk, the Mexicans are rapists, the British are racist, and the religious are clueless idiots, and then the natives are constantly referred to as savages. Now, that last one actually fits narratively because it's not the developers portraying them as such, but rather the people of the time calling them that so that fits it's it's horrible but that's what it was but the other shit that's that's fucking them the developers deciding that the drunk is going to be irish the mexicans are going to be a crap load of races and all these other things and it was like i really don't like this and there was different elements throughout that i'm like i understand you're making me play a bad person but to force someone to have to go through a scene where women are being stolen and girls stolen from villages so that they can be raped by the president or the whatever the hell the general uh in mexico and there's fuck all you can do and you can't even progress with the story until you burn the village down so that if they run away they have nowhere to go to holy fucking hell like that is i did not like that and there were a lot of things like that throughout this game that I'm really hoping they're not going to put in Red Dead 2. Uh, I don't know if you're going to... I don't think they're <laughs> going to go that way. Um, I binged on Red Dead Redemption 2 uh, news today, mostly because it was assigned, but when I saw how beautiful it is, it is seriously as beautiful of a game as I've ever seen Um as beautiful as the dreaming city is in destiny Two, but from a particularly like realistic standpoint, um, those again, horses are amazing. Holy the horses are gorgeous. Hell there were wolves that look super cool. Like just the, like, uh, one of the videos had like this amazing Vista shot that you could do in third person. It was phenomenal. Uh, this, the storyline is set in 1899. Uh, spoiler or actually bonus content when i was in college uh, 1899 is the beginning of the american century because this is when we defeat an old world european power you're welcome uh if you need that for your ap history class you go ahead use it um basically the idea what of, you're saying is you're giving away history for free here go ahead use oh 100 oh yeah i mean we're educational yeah this is this is how there's a tax write-off here somewhere for somebody um but as, but th what I did not like is the narrator of the videos is talking about as civilization uh, keeps moving forward and they bring civilization to the West. It's like, y'all, there was a civilization here already that was uh, that we wiped out. We we participated in genocide, which is something that other videos talked about. There will be a stronger Native American presence in Red Dead Redemption Two, and it will have. Uh, I'm just kind of nervous about how it's going, they're going to be portrayed. Um, but basically it's the end of the outlaw era. You're the last, you know, the last stand of the Vanderleer gang, your choices matter. The food matters, like how you kill deer matters. If it's with uh, a bow and arrow, so it's good quality meat or a stick of dynamite. So it's just meat. Uh, it, there's some, there's a lot going on here. Um, it is, However, Red Dead Redemption 1, like Joe, uh, one of my good friends, it's his favorite game. And the idea of being a sharpshooter slash a dead eye uh, where you automatically target the center mass as a gameplay mechanic is particularly fun. There is also uh, what I found super interesting. If you turn the mini map off, NPCs give you directions on where to that go. So right? That's like, that's a reason to turn your mini map off. Um, it looks like it's just going to, it's just this amazingly immersive uh, property, but it's, I don't think we're going to get, uh, I don't know, maybe we'll get a redemption arc out of some of these characters, but I don't think we will. Um, 
I don't associate rock star and redemption. I, it's just a foreign concept in my head. Uh, there's also the idea of this game itself, like uh, the history professor in me that lives in a different timeline uh, cannot stop thinking about uh, the American West and the fall of the Confederate States. It's not a, a genre. It's a genre that I like in movies. It is not a genre I like to play unless it's in outer space and it's totally different. So it looks gorgeous. And the fact that everything from how you kill an animal to get meat, to get sustenance, to having your mini map on matters is just mind boggling to me. So it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun, but I am, I don't think it's going to be a, a redemption arc kind of, there's, there's talk of it, but I don't know. I'm, they don't get the benefit of the doubt from me. Yeah, I right now again I'm I'm not worried. I I'm curious, but it's there's enough thing that things in this like there's enough that I really enjoy, but enough that it's like oh that's juvenile or that's like again, enough with the stereotypes that are really you're putting them there. That's it's just annoying that I'm hoping that it's been enough years since then that hopefully we won't see those in in Red Dead 2 because honestly if I can play a game where I'm not hearing blood curdling screams from female NPCs all the fucking time like I'm hearing presumably women being attacked and from all the indications that we see everywhere else being raped by all these men everywhere that you're literally anytime you are riding around on your horse which is all the fucking bloody time um or going through towns you're hearing this all the time and there's even a mechanic in the game that not in them on the mexico side at least i haven't seen it on the mexico side but on the u.s side when you are traveling in towns some of the towns inevitably there will be a man who has beaten the shit out of a prostitute about to kill her. And you have to either let it happen or kill him, you know? And it's all the fucking time. So these are things that we we don't need in this. Like, we really don't fucking need in Red Dead 2. And I'm hoping it won't be in there. Okay, yeah. there was a big Stellaris update. How fast can you do this? Because we're already running late. Or do you want to save it for next week? I'll tease for next time. I'll just make it quick. All right. Uh, Stellaris, the Stellaris 2.2 Laguin patch will change everything about planet management and add trade features, along with some other hidden surprises that uh, will be released eventually. But next time I'll talk more in depth about how it's going to fuck up your mini, uh, your micro game to no end. And with that, we will let you guys go. Thank you very much for joining us. You can find us at ForTheLore.com. You can also find us on Twitter at ForTheLore or individually. Vince is at Simodian, Marty is Officer Gleason, and of course there's at ForTheLore. And with that, we will see you guys next week. And Marie's the name of his latest flame. Thank you for listening to For The Lore. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince, a movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as Lore Watch, a Blizzard lore podcast co-starring Joe. And if you're into comic books, check out All Comics Considered with Marty and his crew. Lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. You can find him at ManelliJamal.com as well as on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.